welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. This week, my guest is a classroom diva. Diva is a, well, her real name is Jessica. Um, parents didn't name it, but that would have been awesome. She is a teacher out in South Dakota, and she's going to be answering questions with me as well. Hey! 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 Sorry about that. How are you? Good. How are you? Awesome. Thanks so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Sorry I'm not the techiest person in the world. That's all right. That's all right. I mean, you have a YouTube channel, so you're not you're not too far off. Not too far off, yeah. Hey, guys. Um, hey, Kate. Oh, I love it. Oh, Jess. Kate's always on there, yeah. So, Jess, before we get started, could you tell everyone, just give a little bit of intro about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? That kind of stuff. Sure. So, I am, um, I just finished up my fourth year of teaching. I taught three years of kindergarten, and this past year I taught third grade. Um, and now I am currently fostering one of my students. So for those of you who kind of threw that out there, you are correct. That's all of the information I can kind of give about it for now. But my life has been very blessed and it's kind of been a whirlwind. So a lot of fun, but a lot going on right now. That's, that's awesome. So what, what states have you taught in? We talked a little bit about this earlier, but like, did you teach kindergarten in South Dakota also, or was that somewhere else? No, I taught three years of kindergarten in Florida and then I moved to South Dakota and I taught third grade here in South Dakota. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. And so will that be the same next year? So next year, it seems like we may be moving in the middle of the school year. And I probably am not going to start teaching full time until we kind of end up or find out kind of where we're moving to. Um, I probably will just substitute here and there until I can get my own classroom in the new place that we move. Okay. Um, Great. Yeah, well, it's kind of up in the air right now. It's with so much going on, I just, it's hard to kind of, you know, pick a, an absolute of what I'm going to be doing next year. So, but I will be still making videos and kind of sharing some tips and everything. That's uh that's the great thing about this is that you can do this wherever you are in the world. It doesn't matter so much where you are. Yes, absolutely. Cool. So uh, along that idea of tips, let me ask you, um, I know you love organizing stuff. I saw your video today yeah. about uh, the book bins <laughs> that you had. What are what are th things, if there are, that you do in the summer to get ready for next year's school year? Sure. So usually the things that I focus on during the summer, organizing, obviously, I like to get all of the bins and baskets and things that I want to use the following year. I definitely recommend, you know, obviously the Storix bins are wonderful, but I also recommend checking out Dollar Tree. They always have a ton of cute summer, very colorful, bright summer bins that are perfect for the classroom and very affordable, especially for teachers. Um, and then another thing that I like to do is kind of plan my, my back to school and open house, all of those kinds of nitty gritty details of the beginning of the school year. Um, getting labels kind of laminated and organized and, you know, everything that I can do ahead of time, especially teaching elementary school, you know, really kind of helps transition into the beginning of the school year because pre-planning week is always very busy, as you probably know, lots of teacher meetings and staff meetings and just trying to get settled into sometimes a new classroom, a new grade level. So anything that you can do to get ready during the summer definitely helps. Yeah, I, I think... That's a hard sell for some teachers. Like some mm -hmm. teachers, I feel like you can tell that they were doing their homework on Sunday nights or Monday mornings right. instead of getting it done ahead of time. Because, you know, there's 
the truth is there's never enough time in the beginning of the year to get all that stuff done. Right. You just can't because there are meetings and there's all like paperwork to do and, and other kinds of stuff, everything that you don't want to be doing in the beginning of the year, when you want to just like set your room up and get ready for your kids. And so, you know, the fact is, is that, yeah, doing that stuff in the summer and making sure that you both leave school the year before on a really good foot and that your room is in a place that you want it to be and, and your organization's in a place that you want it to be. Uh, and then setting yourself up for success when you go back in September. Absolutely. Is really, really important. Um, and I find that I, I loved, like once August rolls around, like that's where my mind starts going is like, what do I want to do this year? What kind of changes do I want to make? Absolutely. And yeah, so I, I think that's really important. Um, can I actually, your- can I turn it on to you for just a second? I'm just curious. In the high school world, what do you typically do as a high school teacher to kind of get ready for that beginning of the school year? Is it a little it's, bit different? So my, it is. That's a really good question because I don't have all, I feel like elementary teachers have tons more stuff than high school teachers do. Yes. <laughs> but my room is, I've been, I've been moved to so many different rooms since I started teaching that when I finally got the room that I'm in now, I decided... I never want to get moved again. So I put things in there so that I would never get moved. I built a tree, an eight foot tree out of driftwood in my room. I saw that. That's cool. So it it serves no educational purpose. Or I have all these flying books that I like attached to my ceiling and I painted all of my walls and chalkboard paint and built my own bookshelves and like put them all over the wall. And Mm -hmm. they're permanent installations. Like if they come down, there's going to be, like a hundred holes in the wall. So the great thing about that is I don't have to take anything down. Like no one expects me to move my tree at the end of the year or take my books off the ceiling. And the school really, really loves it. They're, I think at first they were a little bit hesitant, but now like every time we bring folks in that we're trying to get them to donate money to the school or there's um, someone that we're trying to show the school off to for whatever reason, they always bring them to my room. So I really don't have to do much because all my stuff stays up for the whole year. I'm if so anything, jealous. <laughs> it's, I'm it's so great. jealous. We move around I, so much that I just, I can't, I can't do that. So I'm so jealous. Props to you. That's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. And I'm really glad that it doesn't, uh, that I don't have to deal with that stuff. So my little bit of stuff that I do have that I have to move, I just make sure that's super organized before the beginning of the summer so that I don't have to figure out what I did with everything before the right. before I start up again. And um, I'd like to throw just a little quick tip out there, if that's okay. Is that okay for those of you that are watching? Um, so as you can see, you guys, he does not have to move classrooms a lot, whereas I do just because we do move around for my husband's job quite frequently. And one thing that I do, I actually have my bins at my house and they are all labeled by month or by theme. And maybe I can do a video on that sometime this summer. That would be kind of cool just to show you guys how I organize my school materials, my classroom materials at home, because I can't really take them back and forth to the classroom all the time because it, that would be a lot of extra work, I think. You know. Yeah, that's a really that's a really great idea. Um, I think feel like that would be a great summer video too for people. Yeah, definitely. To, to go back in the fall. Uh, so our first question of the night is, Miss Sydney Owens says, "How do you collaborate with teachers that have a completely different teaching style than you?" Uh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like that could be a YouTube question also, and, and also uh, 
collaboration in school, but what's, what's your experience with that so far? I mean, I think that you can learn something new from all teachers. I have taught with a large variety of teachers who have very different teaching styles than my own. But what I try to do is I always find something that I can learn from that person. And then I also like to share some of the things that I do so that they can maybe get some ideas from me as well. And you're definitely right. It definitely is a YouTube question because, you know, so many of us, want to be fantastic teachers and we all have the same goal in mind but we may approach it so differently and i think that we just have a lot that we can learn from each other whether we have different teaching styles or not i think it's important to kind of embrace that and open keep an open mind and you know just kind of really listen to what they're saying maybe they're doing something that you know you never thought of before and they have a good reason why they're doing something or teaching something in that way or using those strategies. So I definitely think keeping an open mind is very, very important. And that's what I try to do. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I like the idea that you brought up of uh, celebrating the differences. Like I've had to co-teach with a number of people that we were just obviously different and the students pick up on that a lot. And then what the kids wind up doing is like deciding who they like better. Mm -hmm. And I think it's about showing how unified you are too, like making sure that Absolutely. you and the teacher put on, put up this front that, you know, we are, we're together. We're not trying to be better than, than one another because all that does is discount every single thing that comes out of the, the seemingly lesser teacher's mouth, right? So if they try and put their foot down, the kids uh, will look to who they like better instead of the other teacher. They don't really want right. to listen to what they have to say. So I think that's really, really important is to even if you have to fake it even if you don't really like them that much you know you might be stuck and so it's best to find some sort of commonality like have them over your house for dinner to go out for drinks or something like that and find some kind of commonality and then just decide that you're going to stick together and not let the kids kind of separate you because that can happen very quickly yes uh lexi m asked how did you see, decide what grade you both wanted to teach I know that I want to be a teacher, but I can't decide if I want to teach high school English or elementary for life for the life of me. So how did how did you pick? So I actually have wanted to be a teacher ever since I was seven. I remember setting up my stuffed animals like in my garage. Do you do you remember those overhead projectors that teachers would yeah. use with the little transparencies and the vis-a-vis markers? Yeah. So I asked for one for Christmas for probably five years in a row, and I never got one. I love you, Mom, but yes, I asked for that. I just, I've always wanted to be a teacher. Um, as far as the grade level, I really didn't know what grade level that I wanted to teach, but I knew that I had always loved younger kids. My brother and I are nine years apart, and so he's nine years younger than me, and so I always felt kind of like a mother, a second mommy to him, a mother figure, um, and I always helped my mom out with him while he was little. And I think I just really took to him because he was younger than I was. I always did babysitting and things like that. So I knew that I wanted kind of at that point to teach in the younger grades. Um, but I didn't want to limit myself. So I did end up substituting anywhere from pre-K through fifth grade. And I did substitute in some special needs classes as well. Um, and what I found was that, and I I promised myself that I would never teach third 
or above. I promised myself. I was like, I will never teach third grade or above. I want second or below. And lo and behold, I taught third grade this year. So, I, and I loved it. But I think, you know, just kind of testing the waters, dipping your toes into different grade levels and just finding out the different pieces that you like is important. You know, I, I loved kindergarten too. Uh, there are a lot of things that are different even between kindergarten and third grade. But I didn't know that I would love third grade as much as I did if I didn't try it. Um, so I have not tried. I have not been brave enough to try middle or high school. So you can kind of share on that side of it. But for me, I've always loved the little ones. And I think I don't know how high I would go, like as far as past third grade. But third grade was a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed it, even though that's not what I wanted to do from the beginning. But I ended up loving it. Yeah. That's, that's so funny because I think it depends on your personality a lot that if you, you know, I just think I just, it feels to me that teaching elementary would take a particular type of personality and teaching high school would as well. In terms of kids, I just, uh, I know I have friends that are terrified of high schoolers. They don't, they don't want they're to tell of you. They're weird. <laughs> And I also have friends that, like high school teachers that I know that can't stand little kids. Right. They drive me crazy. They're always <laughs> at 97 questions all the time. And so I think high school to me became, um, I knew that if I taught high school, I wanted to teach ninth grade because I had taught senior year and I would get these kids that like couldn't read or they were so far away from being prepared for life at the end of 12th grade that just made me kind of nervous for them and sad. And I thought ninth grade would be good because then I could foster a relationship with that child over the next four years and really, really help them. That I wasn't just looking at just ninth grade. I was looking at those four years together. Mm -hmm. And that's really served me well. And I just think I get, I've always, I've always connected with kids of all ages, but there's something about ninth grade where like, I just think you're starting to, you're starting to think of of who you are as an individual apart from your parents and come up with your own ideas and your own um oh my dog's going crazy over there again and he's attacking my son um so i just think that uh i really liked that age for that reason because it was there were a lot of questions in kids heads then and there he is. Took him for a long time and he doesn't care he's still doing his stuff uh, someone asked on you now, but the questions blow by so fast. They do. Uh, what is, what was one of your favorite parts of this year? Of this year? Wow. I had a lot of favorite parts, but I think my favorite part would just be honestly seeing the growth in these kids this year. And I know that it's kind of, teachers say that every year, but I truly saw so much growth from these kids this year. As many of you guys know, I mean, I jumped in the, in the middle of the year where the kids were, they, they have had like, they had had like five different teachers at this point by November. And so they didn't want to be at school. They didn't want to learn. They, it just wasn't a fun place for them. They wanted to do other things, which is completely understandable. They, they didn't have any rules to follow. They pretty much just ran the classroom. And so when I kind of came in, I had to take baby steps, but eventually, you know, the kids learned kindness which is super important in my classroom. They learned to respect one another and to love one another. And once we kind of became that classroom family, 
we were able to really move them forward in academics and just the growth that they made, I mean, in reading and math, it was amazing. And I honestly don't think that that would have taken place this year if we didn't work on really building that classroom family. So I think my favorite part for this year was just being able to kind of bring all of those kids together and learn how to love and respect each other and treat each other kindly so that we could kind of move forward in their academics as well. So both of those, I guess, kind of go together, but that would probably be my favorite part. Um, this has been by far the mo most rewarding year. Um, at the first school that I taught at, and I could kind of make this into a whole YouTube video, but um, the first school that I taught at was an A-plus school, a blue ribbon school. We had very high parental involvement. Um, you know, I had parent volunteers in my classroom all the time. The PTA was amazing. Wow. It was a highly funded school, you know, um, by the parents, too. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bobby Bowden, FSU's old football coach, but his kids went to our school. Okay, well, if you watch college football, for those of you out there, my husband is a huge college football fan. Um, but then the school that I taught at this year, the parental involvement was very, very low. And um, it was actually a focused school. So very, very, very low test scores. Um, just when the kids came to school, it needed to be that safe place, that loving place for them to be able to talk to an adult and all of those things. And it was just such an, a rewarding year overall, just to kind of watch those kids grow. It really, really made a huge impact on me as the teacher as well. So it was awesome. Yeah. yeah. What's one of the ways that you build that sort of family in your classroom? Um, we kind of going back to the teachers and the collaboration, we really tried to celebrate each other's differences and finding things that we had in common with one another, whether it was, I mean, as you probably know, I taught at a very high indigenous population. These students were um, you know, from the Native American culture, which I learned so much from them. And we celebrated those differences and we focused on kindness and respect. And we had a morning meeting every morning where the kids would go around and they were able to share really whatever they wanted to. Um, you know, I didn't really limit them as far as what they wanted to share. Some kids opened up more than others and that was completely fine. But I think once the kids started recognizing that they had things in common with one another, they started to realize that, oh, well, that person's kind of similar to me and I think I could be their friend. And so we kind of took it from there and it really helped build that classroom family. That's really great. Uh, when I think of my favorite part of the year, I'm thinking of, so I took uh, 11 students to Costa Rica this year and 11 students that most of them had never been out of the country. Mm -hmm. Some of them had never left Philadelphia. Most of them had never been on an airplane before. So it was really challenging because the first day, or the, the second night that we were there, we were on an island in the middle of nowhere. Like we got on a boat for two hours and went down a river. And so we got to this tiny little humble family hotel that we stayed at, no air conditioning. There were lizards on the walls. It was like, it was blowing guys away. I mean, it was not West Philadelphia. And some of the kids that second night started getting really homesick. It was a little bit too much for them to take in. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the trip, one of the students who had had the hardest time and every single day was a challenge for him. My, my good friend now, Jasper, is sitting at dinner with me. And I said, so what do you, what'd you think of the trip, man? Like, you know, I'm trying to think of what I should do for next year. Did, did you like it? And he said, this was single-handedly has changed my life more than almost anything else I've ever done. And 
he felt like he had really connected with kids on the trip that every day was a challenge. Like he's not the kind of dude, even to look at him, he doesn't look like an adventurous spirit, but he did zip lining and whitewater rafting and all kinds of just crazy stuff and really took it in. And for me, it's like, if you know that you've like, if you hear someone say that you've changed their life, you don't, you don't hear that so That's much as a teacher. Right. I mean, like not consistently. You hope you do, right? You hope that like, and I hope I in, like inspired that kid or, or helped change the course of his life. But to hear someone like Jasper say that to my face, like it was just, it was the best. It like couldn't be tough. Your heart was so, so cool. Yeah. That's amazing. I yeah. love it. Congratulations on that. That is so rewarding. Just, I hope all teachers have that moment, you know, at some point just to kind of, Absolutely. feel the impact that they truly have made so that's amazing yeah it reminds you it motivates right. you for everything else i mean your day can't be down if if that happens absolutely uh, adriana cavaro asked i would i just started a twitter and instagram account what advice would you give a teacher who's just starting out what do you share on your social media or who do you share your social media with colleagues parents etc uh that's a that's an interesting question. I've not gotten that before particularly. Like, yeah. Uh, what do you do? Do you share your Instagram and everything and YouTube with your um, colleagues and parents? Not necessarily. So, I actually <laughs> I don't. Okay, here's here's the thing. I first of all try to keep everything in my life very positive. You know, with social media, you just always you never know who's going to read or see what you're putting out there, and you want it to be an accurate reflection of you as a person and your personality and your character. And so everything that I put on social media, I try to keep positive for number one, because that is just, I try to do that in my everyday life anyways. That's just my personality. I try to focus on the positive. Um, I do have a separate Instagram account for YouTube, like my classroom diva. And then I have my personal account as well. So my personal account, I do have a couple of parents on there, but only because, and same with Facebook, on my personal account, um, only because we knew each other either outside of school or we like church or wherever, um, or I had kind of developed a relationship with their family, you know, outside of school, or maybe they were like a parent volunteer and, you know, we stayed connected after the school year or something like that. Um, for me personally, I try not to really have parents and other people like that involved in my social media. Again, I keep it positive. There's nothing to hide. I just, I don't know. Sometimes I want to keep my personal life separate from my professional life. Um, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing either, you know, especially if you have a really good connection with that family or those parents or anything like that. Um, so I think it really just depends on the situation and the school that you teach at and what the policies are for that as well. I know that some schools have a very strict policy on that, which is completely fine. And then some schools are more relaxed with that. So I think it just kind of depends on the situation at hand. Yeah, I think one of the things, one of the reasons I would push to make it public. So I have my own private Instagram account right. as, as well that I don't really use as much anymore. Um, I, I like the idea of my students having a chance to see into my life a little bit and see who I am outside of school. So whether that's just like I'm playing with my kids or we're eating out somewhere to have a sense of like a, a more rounded sense of who I am, I think just benefits the teacher because then the kids realize that like, Oh, this is an actual human being. Right. Like, he has to take care they're of a person. Children at home. <laughs> like, walk his dog, just like everyone else. And I, I just think that that 
that benefits me. I also think that in a world where my son, who will probably yell at me in a second, will come home from school and I'll say, hey man, what'd you do today? And he goes, nothing. And then I find out like something awesome happened. Mm -hmm. Like someone brought reptiles to the school and everyone got to touch a snake or something like that. Or they had like an outside day and they got to play with like really great stuff. I think kids are, I don't I know, I did this when I was growing up. I would always tell my mom like, ah, nothing happened. Right. Then she would find out what happened. And she's like, that sounds amazing. Tell me about it. Yeah. One of the things, one of my hopes about YouTube going forward is to give parents a glimpse of the kind of things that are happening in school, like what that trip looked like or what our conversation kind of sounded like in class right. or what's the vibe when you're student is in the hallway and they're walking around or they're shaking hands or are they getting along with other people? Like just little snapshots of that, of what the day is like. I just, I wish I had that of my kids in school. I think it would be great. I'd love to know that you had library today or this is what you did in gym or you got to play with that parachute thing like that everyone's been dreaming about ever since they were in elementary school. I just think that that kind of stuff is, is priceless. And it's also, I think it's exciting too, because it's chronicling it, right? Like the idea that our great grandchildren will get to look back mm-hmm. and see like what you looked like as a teacher or what their great grandfather looked like as a ninth grader in Philadelphia. That's just, that is cool. Seems can, can I ask so that's you always that really quick? My head. So just something kind of fun to share that kind of goes along with this is my last year, I've been married a little bit or a little longer than a year. And my kindergarten class was actually, they performed at my wedding. So we had that connection in the classroom. And then I did, you know, I sent home parent permission slips and all of this. And all but two of my kids were in my wedding. So it was really a really neat experience. And they performed a song and I had a little saxophone player and it was a lot of fun. So it was that cool connection, you know, outside of the classroom. And yeah, we got to dance and do the whip and the nene. And it was a lot of fun. Hilarious. It's good kind of, I guess, that you're leaving that school because how do you how do you top that next year? Right. right? Are you having an anniversary party that we're all on? Exactly. Uh, another oh, this is the one I just got. What was the other one? The next question, CC Moffitt asked, how difficult was it for you to implement classroom management after you took over the classroom? That's a really good question. This but, is uh, fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, you did talk a little bit about like building that family, but um, I don't, is it something you think you could replicate? Do you think you just got lucky this year? What, what do you think? Oh, no, I didn't get lucky this year. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it was a challenge. And Actually, if you watched the video on my presentation that I did in Sioux Falls, South Dakota and Spearfish, South Dakota, my whole presentation was about classroom management because of the strategies that I kind of used that worked and then some that I didn't that I, that didn't work either. Um, so this particular class was so challenging that the principal actually came and she said, you know what, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I want you to come and observe for a few days because this is a very challenging class. And nobody wanted to really take over the class because of all of the behaviors that were happening. And you can't really blame the kids because they just didn't have anyone consistent with them. Um, So they just needed someone who was going to stick, you know, stick to the rules and the consequences and everything. Um, But as far as classroom management, it took a long time, and yes, there were tears, and there were 
there were days honestly where I would come home and I'm like, oh, what am I doing? You know, crying to my husband. And he's like, this is going to be so rewarding. You can do it. You're an amazing teacher, which he's extremely supportive and he's been there from day one. But it was hard. However, I think that's why it was so rewarding because no matter what I did, and I mean, I had all kinds of comments from the kids, things that I had never heard before, like, you know, you're the mean teacher. I've never been called the mean teacher until this year. And I was like, oh, I took it so personally at first. And then I realized that a lot of these kids are going through other things that are, that things in school are triggering those behaviors based on their out school, you know, outside of school life. Um, so yes, it was very, very, very challenging. However, with that consistency and making sure that you are holding those kids accountable is so important. If you say something, the most important thing is to, or one of the most important is to follow through with that. And so it's gonna be challenging at first, but eventually over time, the kids understand what your expectations are and they will, they will kind of do what they need to do. So it takes time, but it's definitely worth it. So don't give up. <laughs> I think that's a really, that can be a really like a learned trait. I don't know that everyone's ready for that sort of consistency. Yeah. Because you think that that means I'm going to put my foot down. And the next time you do that, I'm going to, these are the repercussions. But right. what happens 10 times from now? You know, what happens right. in March when that thing, you know, happens again? And I really, I think that that is uh it's, it's not easy. It's not, it's not easy because you, you want to blame the kids or you want to blame the situation. And it's really you that has to continue to be, you know, consistent. I, for me, part of that is building those relationships with students where yeah. they know that I am going to be consistent, that I'm a consistent person in general. Every day I show up to work, every day I come early, every day I'm there for you if you need me. And when students are coming in that don't have that sort of consistency, I, I, I feel like those are the kids that push back a lot. They are used to trying to figure out and navigate how to get one over on someone. And when I show them that that's not going to happen and that I am going to keep being consistent, but I'm going to consistently be fair and loving and kind and uh, I don't know, mean when I have to be. Uh, if, if that's what you want to call it, then that's, that's all huge. It's that's a big danger for a lot of students. And I also uh, think that when the kids feel that you care about them and that you love them, that student teacher relationship is so important for one of my students in particular, he had oppositional defiance disorder. I mean, really, really, it was a struggle. Every day was a struggle from the moment that he would come into the classroom. It was a struggle. He was on an individualized behavior plan. And there was one day, it was, I had probably been there about a month and he said, he was really angry. And I said, honey, you know, what's going on? Let's figure this out. And he said, you're just going to leave us like everybody else. And so the fact that he, he was acting out because he thought that, you know, I was, I was upset about something and I was just going to leave like everybody else. And I said, oh, no, honey. I was like, I am going to be here for the whole, for the remainder of the school year. I'm here for you. I'm not going to give up on you. And so once he kind of started to see that I cared about him and that I had a love for him and I wanted him to be successful, that's when we were able to start moving forward. So I absolutely agree with you that those student-teacher relationships are so important. Yeah, that's, it's, it's everything. And, and I mean, I'm lucky enough that I think a lot of that stuff comes natural to me. Like 
I'm also old enough that I'm not afraid to like express to a student how I feel and tell them like, Hey man, I really care about you. And I only want what's best for you in in this situation and outside of school as well. So I'm going to keep pressing you on this. And that takes a while. I teach all, I teach at all boys school. And so all 15 year old boys are generally like feelings are gross. We don't want to deal with those. Don't, Don't tell me that you care, but I just, you know, I'm relentless. And I'm going to get my point across and then I usually wear them down. And, and then that's when we can really start building something great in the classroom. Absolutely. Uh, Sarah Christine asked advice for student teaching. Did you student, te- like, did you go through the regular route of teaching and do student teaching? I did. I did do student teaching. I did. I was in the same classroom for a year and a half. Well, in school years, I guess. Um, I ended up doing, let's see, what would that be? Fall, spring, oh, spring, fall, spring. That's what I did with that teacher. And it was at a Title I school. So we had to complete a series of practicums and observations in grades, all of the elementary grades, pretty much. And then our internship was, the whole thing wasn't considered an internship, I guess. It was technically a practicum. And then it moved into a six-week total teach. But I was with the same teacher from you know, the end of the school year of one school year and then through the entire school year of the following of the next school year. So um, I and she was the queen of classroom management, which is why I kind of have applied a lot of those strategies this year. And they most of them did work. Um, So yeah, student teaching was with the same teacher. I kind of liked that because I got to see the entire school year from pre-planning to open house and then all the way through doing cum folders and report cards at the end of the year and kind of how to wrap up the school year. But at the same time, I kind of wish that I was able to experience a couple of other grade levels and classrooms for a longer period of time as well, just to kind of dip my toes in the water a little bit more. Yeah. How was Uh, your student teaching? So my student teaching was... I did a practicum with this gentleman also, and we really hit it off. And, and he asked, he called my college and asked if I would student teach with him, which was huge. Like the college, like we've had anyone do that before. And I was thrilled because he was awesome. I mean, I, I learned so much from him that just like you said, that I still do today. Like my seating chart is exactly because of him. The reason I shake hands at my door every single day with every student that comes through my door is because of him. The reason I think, you know, relationships are so important and the way I even set my lessons up every day is all due to this gentleman that I taught with. And it was the most wonderful student teaching experience I could have hoped for. And I think if I was going to give advice on student teaching, I would say, one, be really humble. Like, I think before we teach, we have an idea of what we know about or who we think we want to be as a mm-hmm. teacher. And I'd say, just be open to other things. Don't be so attached to whatever it is that yeah. you believe in. And two, get to know your kids. Find out what your students are interested in from the jump. Like whether you're eating lunch with them or you just see someone hanging in the hallway or it's before or after school, just hanging out in you know, the parking lot or whatever. Find out you know, what music are they listening to? What TV shows do they like? What sorts of things do they like to do when they're not in school? Maybe they're into the same video game as you. And all that stuff helps because it makes you look like a human being and it shows students that you're genuinely interested and it gives you stuff to use in your lessons. So if you find out everyone likes, I don't know, uh, Pokemon, then check out some Pokemon stuff and use it in your, 
my son just said thanks. Uh, then use some Pokemon references in your lessons because it'll draw kids in and show them that like, actually watched Pokemon. I mean, that's why I watched I watched Love and Hip Hop last year because my students all liked it. It's the worst show I've ever seen in my life. But I muscled through it just because that's what because that's how much I care. What uh, is there anything that um, you wish you had done differently in your student teaching that? So one piece of advice that I was given during my student teaching, I do agree with keeping an open mind. I will have to say that. Um, and then I was told that I was too nice at the beginning. I wanted to be the nice teacher. I wanted everybody to like me. I wanted the students to like me and think I was nice. I wanted the parents to approve of me being in the classroom. So I just wanted that approval because when you do step into a classroom for the very first time, you're like, you think you know everything, but then you start getting hit with all of these things like, ooh, maybe I really don't know what I'm doing, but I'll just kind of, you know, play it off and try to work with it. Um, but one piece of advice that I was given is, and that I would give to others as well, is when you were student teaching, and at least for me, I was, I was the full-time teacher. My mentor sat in her office and just kind of observed from there during my total teach weeks. Um, is to take on that role of the teacher when you are full-time teaching. Because if you don't, then the kids will not look to you as a teacher. And it is really hard to manage a classroom when the kids don't respect you as their teacher. So I do agree with having them, and it might be different, I'm not really sure, in high school, but in elementary school, it's really easy to kind of connect with the kids and be like, oh, you like Spider-Man? Oh, look, I have Spider-Man in this book that we're going to read today. But you still have to make sure that you are taking on that role of the teacher and, you know, having those high expectations so that they are listening to you. Because if not, it's going to be a very long student teaching uh, duration. So definitely yeah. take that role on. Total tightrope walk teaching yes. in, in so many ways. Like, I'm really goofy in school. I love doing stuff like blowing bubbles in the hallway, or I have this <laughs> megaphone that I speak through a lot of times, or I have a, a fake mouse that I got at the dollar store and I tied it to some fishing string. I throw it down the hallway and I pull it down to me really quickly and the kids think the mouse is in the hallway. So being that personality, a lot of times kids think that like, ah, oh, there's no rules in class. We can do anything we want. Right, yes. That's what I struggled with. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a tough thing to let kids know, like, nope, this is who I am, and I'm not going to pretend to be someone else, but I really, really care for you, and because of that, I'm willing to, like, put my foot down and do the things that I need to do. Um, oh, so someone actually just, Philip White asked, CJ, how do I get the right balance of being serious about accomplishing work and making class fun in high school? Yeah. <sighs> I think through relationships. I think the way that you do that is yeah. building relationships with students so that they can see this is all about them. My Every day, my whole job is only ever about the kids. And I want them to have fun, but I really need them to learn things as well. Right. And they're only going to learn that about you the better you take time to get to know them, like spending your preps and your after school and during lunch and all that stuff Absolutely. with your students really, really helps that. Um, and that's 
kind of why I always start with that, even before I even move into any academics, because that is so important and you will get a lot farther and you will make a bigger impact in the lives of those students if that's where you start, at least from my experience. And it sounds like we have very similar personalities. You know, when I taught kindergarten, I was, and even in third grade, but especially in kindergarten, I was silly all the time. I felt like, oh my goodness, if someone walks in here, they are going to think I am a crazy person because I'm like, oh, all over the place, you know, all the time. I'm just silly, but it makes learning fun for the kids. And so that's just what I did. And so you're so right. You have to find that balance with maintaining those high expectations and showing them that it is all for them. You know, those rules, the academics, but you can also have fun. Everything is surrounded around them. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's straight. I mean, I've had like folks come into my room from the news, from all kinds of things and I'm like standing on the desk, like doing, yeah some ridiculous nonsense and it's like oh we're learning in here i swear that's happening it just looks like you know animal house in here dope law asked um i they want me to ask who are some of your favorite youtubers and where do you see yourself in five years like what are your goals so who who are some of the people that you watch on youtube then oh you of course Of course. Um, I love Pocketful of Primary. I think she has a lot of really great tips and tricks. And I think, you know, I would love to do a collaboration with her someday. I think it would be a lot of fun. I love Genuine Teaching, obviously, and Miss Fab Teacher. I watch a lot of the teacher YouTubers. Um, Kate, the Sleepy Teacher, is so sweet. I love her. I love you, Kate. I know she's here in this conversation. You guys are amazing. Um, Apples and Tiaras. And she is having a little one. She has a little one on the way. So that I've been following her journey on that, which is super exciting um the letter classroom and then i do there is another youtuber who she she's a teacher um and she but she does makeup and beauty videos mostly her name is courtney liz or court liz i don't know what the exact it has some numbers after it but she is amazing um and she recently just had brain surgery so i've been following her cancer journey Um, and it's just really a really touching story but she is also a teacher and she couldn't finish out the school year with her kiddos because of her surgery and she is just an incredible person she's so inspirational so um i will send you the link to her channel if you want to add it in on youtube afterwards for people to check her out description of this live feed as well so people can see it okay absolutely so yes yes definitely um i would what about your what are your goals and like your five-year goals My five-year goals, well, let's see. We will probably be living in a new place. Um, I'm hoping to, I kind of am starting to think about possibly teaching college level just because I've been speaking recently and I'm kind of, you know, sharing a lot of tips and tricks on YouTube and everything. Um, I don't know if I could ever leave the classroom completely because that is my passion and I just, I can't wait to get back in the classroom and just the thought of not being able to have my own classroom and only substituting this upcoming year is just devastating to me because I, I want to be around the kids. Um, so I'm not really sure, you know, I kind of have a very adventurous spirit and I, I'm very open to new things and opportunities that come my way, but I absolutely still will be in education, but I don't think I will go probably over third grade. My dream grade is second grade. So hopefully within the next five years, I can kind of settle down and 
teach second grade and maybe do a little bit of mentoring or something on the side for new teachers. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds really interesting. What's it about teaching college that interests you? I mean, I don't want to do that full time. Just throwing it out there. Um, I think I just get so many questions of from student teachers and aspiring teachers. And I just want to share my experience really with other people. And I know YouTube is a great outlet for that. So I don't know if that would ever take place. But I think just, you know, with all of these collaborations and learning tips from you guys as well, um, I think that kind of putting everything together would really help new teachers coming into the classroom. I guess things that I wish I would have known when I was stepping in. And so if I can do my part in helping those teachers to feel confident and have a, ba a bag of tricks when they step into the classroom, then I don't know, I feel like it'll help them to start off on the right foot and make an even bigger impact in their classroom when they start. Yeah, I, I wish, I, I looked for this kind of content when I was in college and even when I, in the first few years of teaching and it just didn't exist, like no one was making videos or, I mean, blogs were around, but that just took so much time to kind of like consume a whole lot of that. And I just, I also felt like I couldn't find anyone that was particularly like me or was creating a classroom environment like the one that I wanted. Like I knew in my head what that looked like, but it was really tricky to be able to pull it off. And so I, that's one of the things I'm really, enjoying about the the youtube community is someone like you know one fab teacher miss may i talk to her regularly now on the phone or kate the sleepy teacher i talk to once a week after the live feed to just see like because she yes. helps me in the comment section and and stuff and so those those connections have been so invaluable to me because they're folks that like I, I'd never run into you otherwise. You know, you're in South Dakota. I went there once to see Mount Rushmore, but that was about it. And then I drove home. So right. that that idea that I can connect with people from all over the world is yeah. And and like you said, not, not it's not just the teaching piece because although I love that, I love the mentoring piece. I love sharing what I know and ideas with people, which is why I do this show every week and why I make YouTube videos. But mm -hmm. also getting feedback from other people that don't like something that I did or were confused about how I said something or had an even better idea on how to do stuff. That right. is, it's so fun. And so if anyone was going to start a YouTube channel, I mean, I think someone asked that earlier. Oh, about social media. Like I would say just do it so you can yes. get with other teacher YouTubers because like some of the pictures I get from like the Philippines of what someone's, some someone sent me a picture of their classroom in the Philippines and said, what are your ideas on what I should do with this space? And That's it was amazing. Different than any classroom I'd ever been in. I'm like, this is fantastic. I love this stuff. That's so awesome. Great. Yes, absolutely. Um, how has YouTube or vlogging affected your classroom? Do your kids know that you do this stuff? They started to kind of figure it out later on in the school year. And my principal was actually very involved too. She found out from a coworker and was very supportive. Um, she would come in and be like, oh, are you filming for YouTube? You should film this for YouTube. And I'm like, I don't know, I'm a little, I feel a little awkward, you know. Um, but they were so supportive. They asked me to present like a staff meeting, some of the content from YouTube and everything. Um, as far as the kids, when they would see like a little tripod set up or something in the classroom, or if I was walking around and just saying, just keep going, just keep going, you know, yep. and then they kind of started to figure it out. Um, 
I did take a lot of pictures in the classroom anyway. I've always been a picture taker because I like to do a CD for the kids at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, like a little video for them, a slideshow of some sort. And so they are used to having their picture taken all the time. Um, so they didn't really think anything of it at first, but eventually they were like, are you, are you videotaping that? And I'm like, yeah, I am. Look how, look at what you're doing, you know? Uh, so they think it's the coolest thing. And, you know, like my foster daughter now, she is like so into it. She will have, she'll be like, oh, can I go, can I go outside and do some gymnastics and film it on the iPad and make a video? And I'm like, sure. Obviously she's not posting anything, but she just, she thinks it's the coolest thing. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. That's awesome. I think the teachers at school, uh, no, I mean, people know, but I don't think most, most adults that I know don't watch YouTube. Right. Question is the, most, exactly. the most is like, well, wait, what are you doing on YouTube? Like, what, what's the deal with this? Like, what's, why would you do that? And that's really just really funny to, to listen to. And, but the students all watch YouTube. I, I have students who primarily watch YouTube that don't even watch regular television anymore. Right. So in the beginning of the year, when I had just started out, they were, you know, slightly interested. My kids are all about subs. Like the more subscribers you have, now they can take you a little bit more seriously if you have more than like 10 people or 20 people. <laughs> Once I pressed like 100, they were like, Reynolds. Wow. Yeah. Huge man. But it's been a great connection point for me with the students. And I have high schoolers. So the guys that I know and I know their families get to be in the videos. Mm-hmm. And that's a really big deal to them. Or if I edit someone out like if it if we did something and it didn't work they're like Reynolds you cut me out. they're like we should fill the classroom with balloons one day and I'm like no that will Can take you please do that that would be so much fun <laughs> it would be awesome I'm like who's coming after school to help me fill up you know 10,000 balloons or something. and who's gonna who's gonna get rid of them all when they're you know when you're yeah. done with them <laughs> we did we did a video in the fall where for my daughter's seventh birthday, we filled her bedroom with balloons while she oh, was sleeping fine. in the loft bed. So it was all the way up to the bottom of her bed. And then when I came into school, the kids were like, we need to do that in the classroom. And I'm like, no, we can't. Like, so my funny. lungs hurt. I love it. So yeah, it's been a really great connection point with the students. Definitely. Uh, we got a question. Cece Moffat asked, can you... Oh, have you ever done a project-based learning, STEM or STEAM? And how was it if you ever did anything like that? We, at my old school back in Florida, we kind of did STEM as a school-wide project. Um, so all of our project-based learning, we really honestly didn't do a whole lot of it in kindergarten. Uh, but we did, I did do some of it during our... Um, I guess it was kind of a collaboration during our student teaching with some of the other student teachers. We kind of did some things related to like manatees, like we adopted a manatee and we were doing some things with that uh, when we lived in Florida. But as far as like STEM goes, we it was more of a school-wide thing and every year the students would have a STEM bowl, but it was only third through fifth. And so kindergarten was not involved in that. We, we got to kind of cheer them on and watch until they kind of went into, to the regional level. Um, but we were still involved a lot of, in a lot of like the school improvement plan aspects of that. And it seemed like an amazing, an amazing experience for those kids. And I definitely think that we need to bring it down more into the primary grades. Yeah, we have it in our school, but it's it's not for the like the literature department. 
or English yeah. department. Oh, right. Yeah. And, but project-based learning is, has been a part of my class so far, <laughs> but next year will be a much larger part. I'm taking on a class that will be a co-taught like uh, instructional class. And so mm -hmm. it's a mix of like a lot of kids with IEPs and a lot of kids who are close to that um, working together in a classroom and there'll be two teachers, myself and my friend, Miss Yonkers will be in there and we'll be teaching. And we're hoping to do a lot of project-based learning. There's no curriculum for the class. We could right. awesome. the curriculum this summer and make it anything that we want to. And it's, it's so fun to even think about what we're going to do next year. Cause we have all these crazy great ideas that we've always kind of dreamed about doing and then being able to do that in class at our own pace like there's no right. timeline for like there's no sense of like what we need to get done so anything we're getting done is just that's amazing great i'm super excited about it uh liz brown asked liz brown 76 said can you share about a lesson you learned from a student what did they show you that has left an impact on you what's something that you learned from oh, one of your wow um you know, just working with the kids this year overall, I guess I've learned so much from them. Definitely don't judge a book by its cover. Um, you know, a lot of teachers will say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree or things of that nature. And just don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge the student based on what you see. I know that it's so important to keep in mind that all students can learn. Obviously, you need to differentiate your instruction and make sure that you are reaching that child in the way they need to be reached. But I just think it's so humbling and, you know, just so rewarding to make sure you're not judging the book by its cover. There's so much more to those kids than what we see at school. And you just have to understand that. I think that's so important. Yeah. So um, I guess mine's not really very specific. Sorry. I just, I think I could just be here all day if I was sharing so many things and, you know, for confidentiality as well. Um, I just, yeah, there were so many things that I learned from the students that really opened my eyes this year. And I, I have, I feel like a new person. I feel like a better teacher. I feel like a better person overall. My heart is a lot more full, fuller than it was before. And um, I just, I've learned so much from them this year. Yeah, that's, I really love, I mean, I think that's a really good point. The idea of like not judging a book by its cover. And, and I really like that you said that because I think anyone can apply that to their school, mm -hmm. whether no matter what type of school you're teaching right. in. I had a student two years ago that uh, Miss May loves a story. It's just like her favorite story she tells me. So he was really angry every single day in class. He was always writing, just writing on the cover of his notebook, wouldn't do his work, was really uh, was really rude to my co-teacher that I had in the room, wouldn't listen to her when she spoke to him, was like belligerent with her. And one day I told him that uh, he had, that I was giving him detention. He had gone too far and he had detention. Mm -hmm. His detention was that for every day that week, he had to eat lunch with me in my room. And so we eat in there. I have 20 to 30 kids in my room every single day eating lunch that, that, that opt out of eating in the lunchroom. They just will like grab their food and come up to my room. And this individual had to eat with me and we just talked every day. I asked him about himself. I wouldn't let him like kind of push me off. I just right. made him believe that I, that I cared about him. And then that ended up 
by the end of that week, um, we had like built enough of a relationship that he just kept coming to my room every day and eating lunch with me every day. And then any of his study hall periods, he would ask if he could come down to my room and just sit at my mm -hmm. desk and do work. And we built this really great relationship. And then this year, this is like a self gratifying story, but you know, we, I'm not going to tell about the time that I, that's okay. <laughs> so, um, he was in my room and another, he was telling another teacher about the thing that changed him into become from becoming like a student who didn't want to do anything to someone who really, really cared. And he just said, and you could see it was hard for him to say, it was like, it was Reynolds, Re like without Reynolds, I wouldn't Aww. have survived the ninth grade in like yeah. so many ways. And to find that kind of stuff out about a student that they say that is like, like I said earlier, it's just, it's the most powerful thing, especially coming from students sometimes that it doesn't like compliments don't leave them easily. They don't say nice stuff to people that often. And you could see it's, it's a struggle, but when they do say it, it's just, it's the greatest. And that, that made me feel like I could do anything this year. It was like, man, that kid was really, really tough. And if I can get to him, then I'm willing to try anybody like no no one's going to come to my room that i can't yeah like at least form a relationship with um and kind of adding on to that really quick okay. one thing that i have noticed over these past four years is that the kids that need that extra structure and those extra moments eating lunch with you or just that extra time and attention the more challenging students a lot of times those are the ones that i have found you know, at the end of the year, especially that say, I love you. I'm going to miss you. You're the best teacher ever. You know, those are the students that really, they may not say it in front of other people, but those are the ones that say, I love you, or they'll come up and give you a hug. And you know that those are the ones that you made a huge impact in. And you're absolutely right. If you can do it with those kids, you can do it with all of them. Yeah. Let's do, so we're at about an hour now. Do you want to do a couple more questions? Sure, it's up to you. Cool. So, okay. Kate, Kate, I'm going to ruin your last name. Uh, <laughs> H-E-U-L-E. -E. I'm the worst. This is why everyone has a nickname in my class. They say that all the time because I'm terrible with names. It's, <laughs> but her question was, how do your spouses feel about being married to a teacher? What are like the pros and cons? And then in parentheses, it says, Reynolds, how do your kids feel about you being a teacher? So how does your husband what are his feelings about that? He is so supportive. He is the best ever. And, but I will say that, you know, sometimes he's like, by the way, this was his idea for me to start a YouTube channel. So that's how supportive he is. He was like, babe, you're really great at teaching and you have a lot of good tips. You should share them with other people on YouTube. And I was like, no way. Are you crazy? And so, yeah, this is actually his idea. So props to the hubby right there. Um, he's very supportive, but I will say that the thing that drives him crazy is the paperwork because I bring, I know that, I don't know. I am still one of those teachers that brings home papers after school. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to stay that way now that I have someone else living here once she starts school, but Yes, I do bring papers home and he's like, seriously, more papers? What are we gonna do with all of these papers? And so I have started to develop a really good filing system at home, but the papers don't always make it into there right away. So yeah, the piles of papers are probably the biggest issue <laughs> that 
has because they just are, are everywhere. And then, you know, sometimes on the weekends where I want to be doing stuff for teaching or if I'm doing something for Teachers Pay Teachers or if I'm laminating or just anything, he's like, okay, you know, you got to have your your normal life too, not just teacher life. I'm like, but that is my life. So um, he's very supportive, but I definitely think the biggest struggle there is the paperwork that comes home. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, and I remember that when I first started teaching, I would have, I would have a laundry basket filled. <laughs> I would have so much paperwork, I'd have to fill a laundry basket. Yes, okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> it was maddening. Then, but for me, and I mean, to bring up my kids, like that all changed once I had kids because I couldn't do it at home. Right. Like I would get, where I would get stuff on it. I'm like, oh, this will spit up on your paper. It's all right. It's like, you know, just spit up. But, uh, toss them out. Just toss them out. Yeah. On it. Yep. yeah. I went through a whole series of years where, like, I never had a clean tie because someone would always drool on me right before <laughs> I would walk out the door. Uh, so but my wife and I have been together for a really long time. This summer, July, will be 22 years that we've been together. So I've known her since high school. Okay. We've been dating. Okay. And, so we know each other really well and she's really great at kind of like helping me keep myself in check. So she's super supportive with school. She'll make mm -hmm. lunches for students or bake things for class or come in and help me organize things and yeah. clean my room at the beginning of the year. When I used to build sets for the plays, she would come in for hours upon hours on weekends and help me like when I was kind of losing it because there was so much going on. like calm me down and help me figure out what needed to be done next. And so we're really, I mean, I get a lot of credit for YouTube and school, but my wife plays a huge part in that. She's like the silent partner. She's the silent partner that's sitting right next to me right now that no one can see. Really <laughs> He's hiding your face right now. Um, there it is. <laughs> I love it. That's so yeah, awesome. They're high school sweethearts too. So that's so fun. I love it. Yeah, it's, we, it's, yeah. it's really great. And it's, it's and been really awesome. super beneficial. My, um, my kids don't care. Right. So like, um, they, they think it's cool. So especially my son will come to school with me and I teach high school. Mm -hmm. So he'll come to school with me sometimes and he'll wear like his little tie or like polo shirt. Like, you know, like he wants to look professional. And he really gets a kick out of the he, the big guys, he calls them. The big guys showing him respect because they don't treat him like a little kid and they never have. They just will come in and shake his hand or give him a fist bump or just ask him what he's watching on his tablet or something like that. And that goes a long way. But he's more into, so is my daughter, more into the students at school than me. And I just think that that's really funny like i'm just dad so even if they come to school like dad i'm hungry i need a drink and i'm like yo kind of like handle stuff <laughs> lesson. go get you a drink or walk you to the bathroom so okay. yeah they don't care at all that i'm uh that i'm doing this stuff <laughs> um all right so the last two are the first one is ellie gets fit says how do you bounce back from a bad first year of teaching and how do you make a good second year as a teacher so have you ever had a year that you just felt like it didn't go well especially at the end and you had to kind of come back from that so my first year teaching was a little bit challenging even though and I'm I'm very thankful that I had the team and the principal that I did 
everyone was very supportive and uplifting. But my very first year of teaching and my very first parent-teacher conference was a disaster. It was a disaster, and I didn't know if I could bounce back from it. Um, you know, I was just, I was a hot mess after that. And what I learned and what I realized is that I need to take that experience and learn from that and try to make it so that that didn't happen again. And so what I, that's exactly what I did is I kind of dissected that and where those issues were kind of stemming from and why it went the way that it did. And you know, I collaborated with a lot of my team members and my principal, and thankfully she was there to kind of support me in that role. Um, and she was at the conference itself. But we kind of just talked about a plan as to maybe what I should have done differently and then things that I did well and kind of just developed a plan as to how to not let that happen again. And ever since then, I mean, that, was, that has been my only horrible parent-teacher conference was my very first one of teaching. And I think, especially the first year of teaching, don't let it break you. It's going to, I think everyone's first year of teaching in particular, there are going to be some struggles. Um, you just have to take those experiences and really kind of dive into why something didn't work and how you can make it better. And just really, like we tell our students, don't give up. And I know that sounds really cliche and kind of cheesy, but it's so true. And I just, with the support of my husband, especially, we just, we talked it out. We kept pushing and, you know, here I am now. And so I think that just, yeah, dissecting it and kind of developing a plan. Yeah, so. that's a really good point. And I, I like the fact that you brought up, that you brought someone else in to mm -hmm. see what was going on in your class yeah. too. Yeah, don't I do it, uh, you don't have to do it alone. No, but that can be so embarrassing to let people know, like yeah. you're admitting that you don't have it all together, that like even someone and who's as cheery as you are, as positive as you are, like, gosh, if you couldn't do it, you know, how am I ever supposed to be able to do this? But I think building that community of teachers around you that support one another, and if you have an administration that will support you, what that also does is it gives it gives you a chance to hear what other people are seeing. Because I feel like a lot of times in class, we think we know what the problem is, or we think mm -hmm. we know what the solution is. And someone else might be able to say, nope, this is what's happening. You need to look at it from this perspective. And that can really change the way we go about things. And I, I've had, whenever I've had really, really tough classes, I always ask someone to come in and observe me, like yes. for several days, not just one, to see, is that kid being an issue in the way that I think he is? Or is my, why is my engagement off? Or why every single time that I take a breath, that means everyone loses it. And now we're all yeah. off task because like I stopped speaking for a second. And so that to me has been huge. Like I would say, even start at the beginning of the year next year, like either go observe other people either people who you think are great or even people that you think are not great, that you think they're terrible teachers, go in there and see for yourself what you think of their class and then, you know, borrow ideas or ask them to come and see you and give you ideas for your class. Because sometimes we're too close to the problem to be able to really recognize what it is. And it takes somebody else that's not in the midst of it to say, hey, that looks like I could something you could help, they could help you with or something. Right. And they may be able to pinpoint it so much more quickly than you can. And especially teachers who have been teaching a while, you know, they might say, oh, well, this is an easy fix. This is what, 
this is a quick fix. So yep. It makes me think of like when a teenager will come in and ask me relationship advice. And it's like, first of all, you don't, they don't have a lot of experience, right? They've, they're 15. They've, you know, their longest girlfriend's been like three weeks or something like that. And I'm not in the middle of that. I'm not, I don't know what your girlfriend does that drives you nuts. So I might be able to just speak to that with a little bit more clarity than you are. Cause you're just like, you know, aggravated with her right now. And so Leanne Rowe asked, I will be at a Title I school next year, first grade, with a high population of students whose first language is Spanish. Any advice for reaching and connecting to those students? Yes. Yes. Uh, you deal with this this year so much? Um, not so much this year, um, but I the last school that I taught at where I taught kindergarten for three years, um, I am certif- and a certified ESOL teacher as well. And so a lot of the students that I had were from India, I had a couple of students from Korea, um, and then I did have a couple of Spanish-speaking students as well. And so trying to reach all of those students along with my English-speaking students, you know, it, it was a challenge, but it was exciting. And what I did, at least in the primary grades, the first thing that I started out with was with was like pictures of things and kind of saying, okay, bathroom. And then you would say it in their language or just finding things that they can understand in both, you know, Spanish and English. Uh, another thing that we used at our school was Rosetta, Rosetta Stone. And so they, the kids would have it on their iPad in the classroom and they would practice the English language in on Rosetta Stone in the classroom, which helped a lot. I had one of my little students who was from Korea. She was when she came into the classroom the very first day, the only thing that she could say was, fine, how are you? How are you today? Fine, that's it. When she had to use the bathroom, she would just go over and kind of point to it, and I would try to teach her, that's the restroom or the bathroom. When you have to use the restroom, this is where you go. Um, and so by the end of the year, she was talking pretty fluently in English. And it was just amazing to see that growth. And I think that Rosetta Stone and using a lot of visuals and pictures and modeling things in the classroom, especially, which we do a lot in the primary grades, um, really, really helped her with that. And I think it would, that would go with Spanish speaking students as well. But I, I saw a tremendous growth in that particular student. Yeah, I think, so when I taught in Camden, New Jersey, I'd say about 60% of the population in my school were uh, spoke Spanish at home. They, they knew very, very little English. And for me, it was, especially at that age, kids get embarrassed that they don't know how to speak English, that everyone else that's around them, they feel like can converse with one another and carry on like these conversations or just tell jokes and know what everyone's talking about. And for me, it was letting those kids know that I see them that you are extremely important to me and that I will go as painstakingly slow as I need to so that you understand what's going on. And I would have kids come in during lunch or before after school to reread a story that we read in class that they really struggled with or they have no idea what's going on. But more than anything, I wanted to build their confidence up so they felt confident to say, I don't understand something or I have a question or I have no clue what we're talking about or where we are right now. And because I speak, I mean, I learned very little Spanish while I was there, Mm -hmm. but even that was important to me to learn like a few words so that someone came in, I could say that. And they felt like, all right, this guy, like, I'm going to work too. 
to like yeah. meet you in the middle. That's what I'm willing to do. And so I think that's huge. You just, you want kids to feel safe enough to ask questions and to say, I don't understand. And, you know, relationships are how you get there and patience to realize that if they don't speak perfect English, by the time they're done your first grade class, like it's okay. They'll go on to someone next year and that will keep building. And so I, you know, don't beat yourself up about like, if you didn't get to where you were right. with that particular student. Um, what was that question? Someone, uh, someone asked, this will be our last question. Okay. Uh, how can people see the video of the conference you taught on classroom management? The presentation, are they asking about the presentation? I think the one you referred to earlier, yeah. Okay, um, I put a small snippet of it in my summer schedule video, but I can definitely upload that if you guys want to see that. Um, I, I don't know if it recorded the whole thing, but I know it recorded at least 30 minutes. So I can check on that for you guys and I can definitely upload that so you can see the presentation on that as well. Cool. It's real. You now is really hard to scroll up on because it just it is. jumping back. I feel like I'm shaking everything too. <laughs> so here's what I'll do is Brenda, I'm going to, I'm gonna, if you put your question again at, on YouTube underneath and, uh, in the comment section, if it's directed towards me, I'll answer it directly. If not, I can get it to Jessica and she can answer that for you as well. And then we'll just make sure that we get it to you. So Perfect. if you want to see Jessica, go over to a classroom diva YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. And next week I have my friend and YouTuber, Darren. No, he's on YouTube. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's a YouTube guy. Um, it's my silent partner over here giving me pointers. Darren Nakakikara. Darren, your name. Why does that have to be so hard? I'm, I just apologize to everyone for my inability to say last names. But Darren has a YouTube channel and he teaches out in California at a really wonderful looking school. And he's going to be at a conference next week in Texas about how to use tech in the classroom. And so we're going to have a conversation while he's in Texas. So that will be fun. And that's that. This will also be a podcast on SoundCloud. You can check out Real Rap with the Reynolds and you can check out the podcast there. Or if you have any questions and you're watching this as part of the rebroadcast, just leave them below and we will uh, do our best to get through those questions and answer them for you. Great. Thanks again, Jess. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much again, guys. Peace. And that's it for this week, gang. Look, if you ever want to have your question answered on Sunday Night Teacher Talk, all you have to do is show up at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds, and I'd be happy to answer any question that you put out there. Nothing is off the table. Thanks so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great week. Peace.